Easy Vibes on the Easy Desert Podcast, your cool guide to investing. There are at least a hundred more, probably even more, of extraordinary individuals who build amazing things and in some cases operate them from South Africa or have exported their ideas, their IP, their products um, worldwide. And I think it's massively inspiring. If you've ever tried to run a business in South Africa, you know how hard it is. Multiply it by 10 times and go global. And then you get an idea of just how much harder it is to go global. It is astonishing, astonishing success to be able to be as big as some of South Africa's greats are. Welcome to Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast, your cool guide to investing. My name is DJ at large. <laughs> now, we've hosted various people on the Easy Does It, from captains of industry to financial experts, even a wealth psychologist. But today, we'll be hanging out and vibing with an award winning financial journalist and a massive media personality. When he isn't on, uh, you know, he's radio show in 702 and Cape Talk. He finds time to write interesting books. Uh, sometimes he's on stage addressing entrepreneurs on how they can grow their businesses. But today we've got the man, the myth, the legend, Bruce Whitfield. Welcome to the Easy Does It podcast, Bruce. Giuseppe, after an introduction like that, I feel quite breathless. But carry on, <laughs> carry on, carry on. Thank you so much for vibing with us. Are you well today? Exceptional, thank you. Exceptional. I can't wait to see what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So we're going to begin with a random money question. We like to play games, take things very easy on the podcast. I'm curious to know, Bruce, if your investment portfolio could speak, what would it say about you? It would say, help! <laughs> so but what you've got to realize, and what's so interesting is, I, I have been speaking and dealing with billionaires for 25 years. And you know, the one thing that does not happen in those conversations is a transfer of wealth. Money doesn't transfer, and ideas transfer, but unfortunately, very few people are capable of making a huge amount of money. Um, and those people are very kind with their ideas, they're very kind with their strategies they share their wisdom but my goodness me the one difference between them and me is they're much better at doing than i am so as a journalist as a guy who goes around picking the brains of others i'm afraid i have got a very lonely investment portfolio it is out in the desert of despair um and so yes if it could speak it would say um excuse me pay some attention here please bruce i would have thought that you know working in the space that you're in you'd know a lot about money i'm curious to know uh, do you have a financial planner financial advisor i have friends who are financial planners and financial advisors upon whom i rely to give me insight and wisdom but i do not have my own personal financial advisor um i just i i've always really struggled um with getting direct advice i've always found the vested interests in the financial services industry very hard to stomach um and i'm afraid i got burned as a 
a young individual um, and I was gal- had fees gouged out of me in a way that made me very unhappy. Um, and so I have a couple of friends who give me good guidance and they're very generous with their time. And we talk a lot about money and I talk about it on the radio all the time. Um, so I don't have a dedicated financial advisor. There are some incredible financial advisors in the world, but I am damaged. I'm damaged beyond repair by some of my early experiences. Uh, Bruce, talk a bit about this lonely investment portfolio of yours that uh, was to scream for help. Um, are you into single stocks? Are you into ETFs? What sort of tickles your fancy? I have for many years not invested in single stocks. I used to have a, fan- I wish I still had, my single my single stock portfolio. Um, I was accused very often of being biased. Um, I was accused uh, with no basis whatsoever in my interviews with people. Nobody knows what shares I had, um, but there was oh, only because you've got shares in that business. Do you think like you're so gentle on that oak? Obviously, you got <laughs> shares in him. So unfortunately, to the detriment of myself and my family, I have not for the last 15 years had a direct share portfolio. I do have a small basket of carefully selected ETFs, which I'm not going to name. Um, And I do have an RA, a retirement annuity fund with a very reputable house, with a very reputable manager um, upon whom I rely entirely and occasionally will go in and see what portfolio changes they've made. But I really do, as a journalist, as somebody who deals with this stuff all the time, as somebody who speaks directly to many of the people who manage the companies who make up component parts of that portfolio, I have to keep a distance. It's a pity uh, because unfortunately, I've, uh, you know, I look at the, I look at decisions I would have made over 20 years and I think to myself, I'd be speaking to you from my island by now <laughs> had I persisted in doing what I'm doing. But I've been brought up in a very old fashioned way and the very old fashioned way is to be uh, beyond reproach. Never have anybody second guess your reputation. Never um, have anybody, who, uh, give anybody an excuse to undermine your place in the world. And you've got to be seen to be objective. and it's turned out to be quite expensive (laughs) yeah i think the objectivity is very very important you know bruce at its core you are a journalist so i want to rewind back to your days in varsity when you graduated from rhodes university did you foresee that you'd end up being in radio being you know a business speaker did you foresee this all happening uh, so I foresaw being on radio at the age of five um, when I knew that I'd never wanted to have a proper job in my life. And I <laughs> I, sat, I used to sit in my dad's bucky on the farm, streaming hay fever, looking at cows, smelling cow poo and dealing with dust and flies and mosquitoes and thinking to myself, she's like, how does this guy, my fantastic father, deal with all of this every day? How do the people who work on the farm deal? with this stuff every day. It's an incredible, incredible commitment uh, to farm and to be in agriculture and to be dependent on the elements and the way that farmers and farm workers are each and every single day. And I just went, I know one thing I'm not ever going to do, and that's be a farmer. So what else can I do? Um, And there was this wonderful magic box that was sitting in the middle of the console in between the steering wheel and where I was sitting, and it made sounds of a program called Audio Mix and a fantastic radio presenter from those days called Jerry. Jeremy Dawes and Jeremy Dawes presented a show called Audio Mix. I can hear the jingle in my head. 
don't ask me to sing it. It was just this magic of being so connected with the world in real time that appealed to me, it appealed to me hugely. And I think I chose Rhodes University for two reasons. Um, and that was that it had a fantastic campus radio station in Rhodes Music Radio. Um, and it also had a journalism course. But I think Rhodes Music Radio came first and then the journalism course. And I spent probably more time at Rhodes Music Radio than I did uh, in tutorials, uh, but it, it was such an incredible time. In those days, it was illegal to broadcast. You needed a special license from the Minister of Posts and Telecommunications. Um, and it, it was a rebel and a renegade sort of time. And we used to sneak transmitters into residences and do all kinds of other uh, things. And it was a wild, wild and adventurous time. It was great. But yeah, so uh, did I ever envisage it? I hoped for it one day. And I've had some incredibly lucky breaks. I've been lucky enough to work in South Africa, in the United Kingdom. I provide uh, services to broadcasters across the globe. I'm an incredibly lucky individual um, who hit on the idea of, hold on a second, if you go into talking to people about business, can you do it in a way that people care about, in a way that people relate to, and in a way that matters to people so that they can make better decisions about their money? Uh, I think I can. I hopefully do it each and every single day. Oh, Bruce, thank you so much for rewinding back to your days in varsity and then bringing us back to where your career currently is. You know, people that are looking from the outside in, they see Bruce Whitfield, they hear you on the radio, they must think you're living a beautiful, lavish, uh, fancy life, traveling around the world, speaking to all these billionaires. What would you say are the biggest challenges and thrills that you've experienced in your career? It's the principle of staying motivated and self-motivated. It is the the ability and the desperate need to keep an optimistic outlook not only on South Africa but on the world as a whole um, and each and every single day you come up against huge obstacles of stupidity gangsterism, corruption madness incapacity, ineptitude um, across so many facets of the world in which we live uh, and to find opportunities in amidst that chaos is often very very difficult to do, it's a wild and woolly world and we live in a very difficult country in which to do business, a very difficult country in which to be an optimist. But that ability to cut through the noise and the clutter is probably one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the most fulfilling things that I have learned to do over a long period of time is say, hold on a second, let's just zoom out for a moment. Let's look at what the real story is here, or let's look at alternative stories around where can we find some optimism in a sea of despair and so often we tend to to falter and we tend to default to despair and despondency and that doesn't help anybody yes you've got to be alert yes you've got to be angry when things go wrong yes you've got to act when things go wrong but you can't let it get you down because if you let it get you down it doesn't help you it doesn't help your family it doesn't help your friends it makes you a boring person and it makes you um, like everybody else so finding optimism in the negativity is a challenge but my goodness me it's a rewarding challenge it's such a thrill you know uh, you know finding self-motivation with all this chaos and noise happening around you and finding those opportunities i think is so important uh, bruce i want to chat a bit about reading and books of course we're going to touch a bit on your book i'm just keen to know what publications uh, do you love to keep up with uh, financial and non-financial 
Um, I love Fortune magazine. I find the in-depth stuff in Fortune very, very good. Occasionally, we'll dip into the Harvard Business Review, but my goodness gracious me, they're too clever. Um, I, I, I don't miss a copy of Business Day if I can help it. Certainly, um, it is um, the sort of journal of record, if you like, in South Africa. There's some very good websites. There's some very good financial information um, out in the world. Um, I rely on social media feeds from the world's great media organizations. And so that feed is digital and comes into my Twitter box, for example, whether it be Reuters or Associated Press or Bloomberg or any of the great newspapers of the world. Um, and then it's a massive filtering process each and every single day. So I, I don't know when last I sat down and read a publication from cover to cover. And I think our world is changing so much in that regard um, in the world of clickbait and, and temptation and again, ooh, squirrel and off you go down a squirrel hole, probably not a rabbit hole. Yeah, so the publications aren't as venerable and as important as they once was because the world has moved on. But yeah, if I go for a day or two without reading Business Day, I feel like I'm not connecting with the rest of the world. So I've got huge kudos to the guys at Business Day. They do a remarkable job with very few resources um, in, a, in a complicated country. Definitely. Uh, talk a bit about Fortune magazine. Bruce, if you are on the cover, uh, what do you think the banner and tagline would be? What's this guy doing on the cover of our magazine? Uh, <laughs> uh, turning opinions upside down or changing perspectives or twisting your mind or bending your brain or something like that. I would have, love to have that sort of slug line next to me because I do like to challenge the status quo. I do like to challenge popular opinion. I do like to make people look at the world differently and to do it from a basic of data or data. Pick your English, American or proper English. Pick your poison in terms of the way in which you want to um, see the world by all means. But please don't bring me emotional feelings about how scared you are or how hurt you are or how wounded you are. Tell me why you're cross by all means and tell me five reasons why you're cross and make sure that you've got your facts straight because otherwise we can have an argument. Tell me five reasons why you're feeling optimistic and make sure you've got your facts right otherwise we can have an argument. And those are, are challenging discussions to have so I, I do like to bend people's brains and I like nothing better than addressing an audience of people and you can see people they sit there with their arms folded they sit there a little bit skeptical and a bit grumpy um, and you tell them what they believe I don't know if you've ever tried trout fishing I'm terrible at it but I've watched great people try fishing for trout Titumboweni likes trout fishing and Sir Ramaphosa and I used to love trout fishing I doubt he has the time anymore but you tantalize you tease the water with your fly um, and you and you look and you wait for the fish to rise and as it grabs down you hook it and you reel it in you have a picture and then you release it because that's the right thing to do but you you tease your audience and you play to their biases and within two minutes with an audience you can tell very quickly what they think and how they think and then you challenge their biases and you challenge the way they think and they don't like it very much but if you present in a compelling and story-like fashion the facts that are indisputable about the world in which they live and transact and uh, and interact every day you want start watching people relax you start watching their faces 
um, sort of relax as well because often uh, tense people are very, very uptight. And you watch very tense faces, and, and then it's almost like, oh, thank goodness. And it's like releasing it. If you try and grip a tennis ball really hard and you release it, you sort of get that sense of relaxation. Um, and that's the best fun you can have uh, with your clothes on in public <laughs> with anyone. And, and I think when you talk about challenging the way people think, I, could, I think it's a great segue into your new book, which is genius, you know, how to take smart ideas global. What's the book all about? And, uh, you know, what inspired this topic? Um, the first book, and it was going to have a very rude title, and the, the listeners of this podcast are far too delicate to hear what I was planning to call the first book. But the publisher said, no, you can't do that. Because it was at the time, F words were very popular in titles, and books with F words in them were selling huge numbers. And I went, just to sell books, let's fluke on the cover. From Too Important to Fail, or Too Very Important to Fail, was the title. I wrote The Upside of Down, about how, how chaos brings opportunity in South Africa. And then the publishers a year later said look it's sold really well people seem to like the theme can you develop it any further and so what i chose to do there was say okay we've got some brilliant business leaders some brilliant business minds and people who've built incredible enterprises and crafted their ideas and their skills in south africa let's look at how many of these people and i had five or six in mind have taken their smart ideas global and as i started digging i found more and more and more and in the book right very early on i say i know i have not got everybody and the lots of people are going to be really cross with me if i've missed you i'm so sorry email me please uh, info at brucewhitfield.com and what i've missed and i would do my best to include the great stories that you point out to me in future editions since the book was published people have gone oh have you heard about this one oh have you heard about that one oh and i have to get going no 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 so i'm mortified but so inspired that even with the book of 306 pages and about a hundred case studies there are at least a hundred more probably even more of extraordinary individuals who build amazing things and in some cases operate them from south africa or have exported their ideas their ip their products um, worldwide and i think it's massively inspiring if you've ever tried to run a business in south africa you know how hard it is multiply it by 10 times and go global and then you get an idea of just how much harder it is to go global it is astonishing astonishing success to be able to be as big as some of South Africa's greats are. Bruce, who are some of these geniuses that you've you've profiled in the book and where can we get a copy? Okay, well, if I told you, I'd have to shoot you. But because I don't have a gun, that's impossible. Um, so I'm so irritated with my publishers. Let me use this opportunity to berate my <laughs> publishers. Because their editors cut out an entire chapter. And because I was in a fog, uh, you know, when you publish these things, you send them off to the public. They send you back corrections and you send back your opinion. And it goes backwards and forwards. And by the time it's done, you have no idea what your name is anymore. Um, and the editors, in their wisdom, had tightened up the book and made it a little bit shorter than I had submitted and they've taken out some really great stories which I'm going to have to do in my own podcast which I'm hoping to start producing in the next couple of weeks um, and I'll then we'll bring those guys into the fold because there's some fabulous stories of tiny businesses um, that have got a lucky break globally tiny businesses that have done remarkable things uh, but then businesses that you would know um, are there some of those that are featured are truly global leaders in what they do um, here's one that you've probably never heard of 
Westphalia. Uh, Westphalia is a company named after a farm in Mpumalanga called the Westphalia Estate. It was um, founded by a guy called Hans Marenski. Hans Marenski was a geologist. The Hans Marenski Platinum Reef in Mpumalanga is named after him because he found the first platinum deposits in that area. He also then invested in agriculture and he created something called the Hans Marenski Trust, which is today one of the world's biggest forestry companies. It is also the world's biggest supplier of avocados. 12 months of the year, but not just from Mpumalanga. The boss, a guy called Alk Brunt, sits in London and he manages uh, avocado plantations in about 15 different countries and supplies avocados 12 months of the year across 40 or 50 different territories. And they've got the science of growing these flippin' avocados, millennium's delights. The, the most astonishing success story of people who've grown a business in South Africa said, but there's a big opportunity somewhere else. So I tell the story of Westphalia in some detail, the, the backstory of Appletizer and how that was founded by an Italian immigrant who was on his way by ship from the UK where he'd been living with his wife. They had a few days stopover in Cape Town, so they hired a car and he decided he wanted to become a Karoo sheep farmer. He thought sheep farming in the Karoo is the best idea ever until they got to the Elgin Valley. And his wife said, no, I want to live here. Let's not bother going to Australia. We're going to live here. We're going to buy that farm over there. It's called Applethwaite Farm. And we're going to farm apples. Um, and so he had leftover apples, third grade apples, which were really, really cheap. And he went, hold on a second, but there's got to be a better way of getting value from these apples. And so he sent his son off uh, to Europe. He went to the United States, or maybe it was the other way around. And they explored what you could do with third grade apples. And they came back with the idea of creating a juice, but not just a juice, a juice with a sparkle. This was in 1969, and they launched Appletizer uh, on the market. The privately owned family business for a decade or so, Coca-Cola company invested a bit, and today it's wholly owned by the Coca-Cola company, and they export Appletizer into 30 or 40 markets around the world, and it plays into a trend of alcohol-free drinks, because I don't know what pressure you feel in social, in social surroundings, but if you have a glass of water or a glass of sparkling water, some people give you hassles about it. And they say, oh, come and have a drink. And you go, I don't want to have a drink, thank you very much. I'm driving. Oh, no, just one. And you get a drink forced in your hand whether you want it or not. And the flower pots die because they're drowning in wine or whatever it is they're drowning in. In this alcohol-free drink space, not only is appetizer very useful because of its color and because of the fine bubbles in it, it looks like it's a lovely aged champagne. So you pour a bit of appetizer into a champagne glass you can drink that all night. You'll have a, a lovely sugar rush from the natural sugars from the apples that are grown in the Elgin Valley. Um, and you won't have a bit of alcohol and your mind will be clear and you will remember everything. And then you can hold it against people the next morning. Uh, but there's a young guy whose name has just escaped me because I'm old, um, who started the Duchess. And the Duchess is alcohol-free gin and tonic. Mm -hmm. um, and he's he sold 8 million bottles of the stuff around the world in a couple of years because, again, he's playing into a global trend. And uh, more than half of what he has sold has been sold mostly in Holland and in other markets. Um, so those are two examples. Um, the Feltskun guys, the 91 guys, uh, used to be called Investic Asset Management. Discovery is a great story. Aspen Pharmacare is a great story. There are so many phenomenal stories of 
people who start their enterprises, they hone their skills, they build their businesses locally. In the case of Nando's, they only had three or four stores by the time they opened up their first international one because they were just hungry to take over the world. And they've almost done that with enormous success. And that's the reason why people need to get it. Uh, One thing that I'm always curious about when it comes to authors, did you experience any writer's block when you're putting the book together? And then how do you get those creative juices flowing? I hope differently from other writers, because if all writers do what I do, it's chaos. You really don't want that. So I hold down a a day job. Um, I then do lots of public speaking and lots of facilitation of conversation. So that's in addition to that. I then contribute to the financial mail. So there's that. I'm an associate editor there. Um, And then I also have children and a family um, and obligations and a dog, which takes a lot of time. Um, So all of that stuff takes an awful lot of time. And in between that, you've got a wedge writing time for a book and so I delayed and I postponed because I'm a journalist we leave things till the last minute and I would think about it and go on bike rides and plan and plot and go oh there's a good idea write it down uh, in five different notebooks in five different places never uh, never find them again and get to September last year and go right Let's get started. And I spent a month writing a, what I thought was a global book. And it was all about Twitter and Facebook and Uber and all of these great companies. And I got about a month into it. And I'd done about thirty or 40,000 words. And I just went, I've got no permission to write about this stuff. I've never met the people who've started these businesses. I've never interacted with them. I don't have a unique insight into them. But I'm writing what I know, and that's fine. But this is no good to the world. So crumple it all up throw it away or hit the delete button which is what you do in the 21st century and it all disappears poof and then you go what am i allowed to write about i'm allowed to write about the south african environment i'm allowed to write about what it's like to live work and play here i'm allowed to write about the businesses that excite me here Um, And so let's do that. And so I then started the process of going, defining who it was and how it worked. Um, And there's some days where you can write, you know, 5,000 words in a good day and other days where you delete 4,000 of yesterday's words and start again. No writer's block per se, other than sheer and utter terror and panic. And then removing yourself. My kids have said to me, no more books. (laughs) They're tired of the chaos. I got sent home from the December holidays because I was planning to sit quietly in a house by the sea and write. And you lie to yourself if you think you can do that. You have to be able to remove yourself from as much as you can of your everyday. And so by the middle of December, I had a book and it was dreadful. And so I spent January extending it, cutting back changing it, altering it, focusing it, and bringing it all. And that was waking up at six o'clock in the morning, going to a remote office and hiding there till two o'clock in the afternoon, um, having done eight hours of slog with very few breaks in between, putting on five kilograms and and really letting my health suffer as a result, because you just don't get out. You don't see sunshine. You don't actually go for a walk even. It's not the right way to do it. And that brings us to the end of part one of our conversation with uh, Bruce Whitfield from his investment portfolio, which screams for help all the way to the chaos that ensues when he's writing a magnificent book. Keep it locked to the ease. He does a podcast, your cool guide to investing. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.